This edition of Outcasting will begin in a few moments. Like all public radio stations, WDFH depends on financial support from our listeners. Please visit WDFH.org and click on Donate to make your tax-deductible gift. Shows like this can't be done without your support. Thanks, and now, Outcasting. The fact that the clergy and people of the of the Diocese of New Hampshire called me to be their bishop was just an astounding affirmation, not just of me, but of gay and lesbian people everywhere. This is Outcasting, the Lower Hudson River Valley's only youth-run radio show, dealing with LGBTQ struggles, triumphs, and lifestyles, where you don't have to be queer to be here. Outcasting is a production of Westchester Public Radio, WDFH-FM 90.3, in Austin, New York, and on the net at WDFH.org. Hi, I'm David. On this edition of Outcasting, we are joined by Bishop Gene Robinson of the Episcopal Diocese of New Hampshire. Bishop Robinson was the first gay man ordained as a bishop in the Episcopal Church. He's a senior fellow at the Center for American Progress. The Center is an independent, nonpartisan educational institute dedicated to improving the lives of Americans through progressive ideas and action. He has co-written AIDS education curricula for youth and adults. He's also a social activist, doing work in the United States, Uganda, and South Africa, lobbying for equal protection under the law and full marriage rights. He's a former member of the board of the New Hampshire Endowment for Health, which works to advance access to health care for the uninsured. Several major organizations, including the Human Rights Campaign, Lambda Legal, the National Gay and Lesbian Task Force, the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation, and the Equality Forum, have all honored Bishop Robinson for his work. He has written a book called God Believes in Love, Straight Talk About Gay Marriage. Bishop Robinson, thank you so much for joining us. I'm delighted to be here. In 2008, a group of conservative Episcopalians, led by, at the time, Bishop Robert Duncan, said they wanted to separate from the Episcopalian Church. And they did, because you, as an openly gay man, were ordained. What was your first reaction? Well, I think we thought that the, the split was, was going to be very disruptive, but in fact it has turned out to be very few Episcopalians. Um, the denomination has over two million people, and even using their own numbers, uh, there are only about 100,000 people who have left the Episcopal Church over the issue of homosexuality of which uh, my, my consecration as a bishop was sort of a focal point and a, and a lightning rod. The fact of the matter is the Episcopal Church has, has really moved on beyond this controversy and has stated in, in no uncertain terms that we mean to include all people in our church, including gay and lesbian, bisexual, and transgender people. And at the, this summer's... Um, 2012 General Convention of the Episcopal Church, we passed legislation that added transgender people to our non-discriminatory clauses, uh, both for uh, general leadership as well as for ordination, and we approved a provisional right for the blessing of same-sex unions. So the Episcopal Church has, has really cast its, its lot with gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender people, and there turns out to be only a small number of people who who could not abide that stance and have left us. It makes us sad, and they're welcome back at any time, but we feel we have to be the church that God is calling us to be. What do you think of the split now? 
Well, um, it's interesting. We don't uh, actually even hear much about it now. Uh, those who left have left, and we have no particular contact with them. And the Episcopal Church continues on as a largely inclusive and, and welcoming church. Do you know of any conservative Episcopal groups who didn't leave when, at the time, Bishop Duncan's group left? Oh, sure. I mean, uh, this is not to say that, that every Episcopalian um, uh, feels the same way about this issue, but uh, many of those who, who really felt this was not necessarily what we were called to do um, uh, also felt that it was not a church-dividing issue. I mean, one of the great strengths of the Episcopal Church is that we, we believe um, in common those, those necessary things to the faith, but then disagree about lots of things, from abortion to stem cell research to who should be president and homosexuality, and believe that the Church ought to be a large umbrella under which um, those with differing opinions can still uh, live together and worship together and be church together. Have efforts been made to bring this group, now referred to as the Anglican Church in North America, back into the Episcopalian Church since the split? Well, in fact, uh, we're, we're finding a goodly number of them coming back into the Episcopal Church because they look at us and they see that the, the Church really hasn't changed all that much just because we uh, more openly welcome gay and lesbian, bisexual, and transgender people. So we, we are seeing some of them come back, um, but... But I think um, there was such a, a, a big deal made out of this issue uh, with those, those groups that left that uh, it, would be, it would be hard to, uh, to come back, I think, for some of them because they raised this to such a level of importance that uh, I, I think it'll be hard for them to uh, admit that they were wrong about this and come back. But, um, but they are certainly welcome at, at any time they choose to do so. You were a bit of a trailblazer in this area. What has been the best reaction you have received for being an openly gay bishop? Well, I think uh, uh, just being elected by a diocese was uh, an astounding thing. In the Episcopal Church, the clergy and laity of a diocese actually choose who they want to be their bishop. And the fact that the clergy and people of the, of the Diocese of New Hampshire called me to be their bishop was just an astounding affirmation, not just of me, but of gay and lesbian people everywhere. And I have to say that one of the most uh, uh, pleasing things for me has, has, has been sort of on, on the church level for it to happen the way it often happens to gay and lesbian people, which is when they actually get to know us, it doesn't turn out to be that big a deal. And, of course, my experience has been there have been a lot of people opposed to me, who have never met me, don't know anything about me. And so I guess one of the, one of the best things is, is moving around the country and around the church and letting people see that I'm just not all that scary. I'm just someone who is unashamedly gay and unashamedly Christian, and that those two things don't pose any kind of a, a disconnect for me. What has been the worst, Bishop Robinson? Well, um, you know, for the first couple of years, um, I had almost constant death threats. Um, I wore a bulletproof vest to my own consecration as a bishop. And that was, um, you know, that was hard. Uh, 
you, you don't get any training uh, to get ready for um, constant death threats. And, uh, oh, about a year and a half ago, there was a guy who was um, almost accidentally arrested in, in Vermont. Um, uh, he was in such a, uh, uh, an angry state that when he came through this little town, he shot the windows out of an empty and parked uh, police cruiser. And when they caught up to him, uh, he had a, a MapQuest maps to our house and pictures of me and my husband, Mark, taken off the Internet, and he had scrawled across them, save the church, kill the bishop, and he had a sawed-off shotgun and tons of ammunition. So we get a call from the Vermont State Police saying, we just arrested a guy who we think was on his way to your house to kill you. So that's hard, and and yet, you know, at some point you have to uh, just make a decision to live your life with the most integrity you can muster, and get on with it. And that's what uh, Mark and I have done. Wow. Yeah, it is shocking. And, um, uh, you know, <laughs> they certainly don't train you in seminary to <laughs> withstand such a thing. But, uh, but I have to say that the amazing thing about it is that I have felt so close to God uh, through all of it. And uh, I don't think I could have done it without this... Uh, very close relationship with God, who seems to have been with me every step of the way. And so I would have to say that my faith is, is what has uh, enabled me to, um, to take that pretty much in stride. I'm glad to hear that you're okay. I am. And, and you know, in spite of it all, uh, this has just been such a blessing and, and such a privilege um, to, to be in a position to speak for LGBT people in all kinds of places, um, and, and to really change the church, because uh, at the end of the day, you know, 90% of, of the discrimination that comes our way um, comes at the, at the hands of religious people, and, and even non-religious people use these old, tired religious arguments against us in the culture to deny us marriage equality and all kinds of things. And so to, to feel like that I've, I've made a real difference um, in religious communities um, has just been a, an, an amazing privilege, and I just feel, uh, feel so blessed. So uh, the good far outweighs the bad. We're talking with Bishop Gene Robinson of the Episcopal Diocese of New Hampshire here on Outcasting. Bishop Robinson was the first gay man ordained as a bishop in the Episcopal Church. The Episcopal Church approved the right for same-sex unions to be blessed. What do you think about it? I have to say that the, the weddings and, and blessings of gay or lesbian couples uh, have just been, you know, uh, one of the most inspiring uh, parts of my ministry, uh, and I'm beneficiary of it as well. My husband, Mark, and I um, actually had a civil union in 2008, when that became legal in New Hampshire, and uh, beginning January 1st of 2010, marriage equality became the law in New Hampshire, and we are now legally married. So I, I have a, a very high personal stake in all of this, but I also think it's really important uh, for the Church to put in place these liturgies of celebration and blessing for uh, same-gender couples um, as, as proof that 
indeed we accept and love and include uh, all of God's children in the church. So um, I, I couldn't be more supportive. And 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 really, when you when you think about it, um, we have made this enormous progress in in historical terms in very a uh, very short period of time. We all get uh, impatient and 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 want our full and equal rights now, but it's also important, I think, to stop uh, from time to time and remember that um, this has really happened um, uh, in such a very short time, historically speaking. So um, I, I, uh, I, I just couldn't be more pleased with the progress we've made while we uh, work on the progress that has yet to be made. I recently read an article that said that same-sex couples can now have their weddings blessed by the Episcopal Church through a liturgy. What is the difference between a liturgy and a marriage rite? Well, um, you know, marriage has gotten to be very confused in America, partly because clergy of whatever denomination or Jewish clergy or Muslim clergy um, are deputized by the state to effect a marriage. But when you go to a wedding, uh, it's hard to tell where the uh, legal, civil part begins and ends and when the religious part begins and ends. The fact of the matter is um, that, that the state marries us. And, and we know this is true because if a marriage falls apart and you get a divorce, you don't go back to the little church where you got married for the divorce. You go to the courts. On top of that, the church has a, a celebration and blessing of the marriage, and, and indeed that's, that's the role that religious institutions play. So uh, what I've tried to do in New Hampshire is, is to um, have my clergy teach people about what the civil part of that is and what the religious part of that is. And the, the strategy behind that is that... Um, I think when people understand that no particular religion nor no particular uh, clergy person will ever have to uh, preside at the wedding of a same-gender couple uh, in violation of their beliefs, uh, helps them to be supportive of marriage equality, uh, even if they don't personally approve of it. So um, this liturgy that we passed uh, is, is for the blessing of a marriage that has uh, taken place uh, by a civil authority, whether that civil authority is a justice of the peace or also happens to be the clergy person. I read that the decision for a same-sex union to be blessed does not apply church-wide. It's left to the discretion of individual bishops. That's correct. As uh, with many, many policies in the church, the local bishop of a diocese uh, has the discretion uh, to uh, allow or not allow a particular liturgical practice. What I can tell you is that um, some, of the, some of the bishops who have always voted in a conservative way and, and against any of these changes for gay and lesbian people, uh, have, many of them have gone home and authorized the use of this liturgy, even though they might not feel totally comfortable with it. I have been just astounded. We have one very, very conservative bishop in the Midwest who um, uh, went home and wrote a letter to his clergy saying, I, I just can't in good conscience allow you to do this here in the diocese. Uh, 
But if you want to go to a neighboring diocese and preside over such a liturgy, uh, you may do so with my permission and without any any penalty whatsoever. So we're seeing a huge movement uh, within the church, even amongst those who are most conservatives and who may have uh, been opposed to this, uh, moving in the direction of of that full inclusion and the use of that liturgy. So I, I would say certainly in a majority of our dioceses, that liturgy uh, has been authorized for use. What do you think about the decision, again, as you had previously mentioned, allowing transgender people to be ordained into the priesthood? I, I'm just so thrilled about it. Um, we, we have several clergy uh, who are transgender who are uh, Episcopal priests, and, and they have just made a fantastic uh, witness to who they are and what they bring to us. Um, I, I think this is the next cutting-edge piece of our work in the LGBT community. In fact, putting the T in LGBT. And, and I think, actually, gay and lesbian people, although we often uh, mention transgender people, I think most gay and lesbian people are fairly ignorant about the uh, wide variety and diversity of conditions that are under that umbrella called transgender. And so I think we're at the very beginning of the kind of educational effort to learn what that really means, what the stories of transgender people are. We just did a new video in the Episcopal Church called Out of the Box, and uh, you can see it on YouTube. Um, And it's uh, interviews with five transgender people, two of whom are clergy, um, and then as well as comments from me and the Bishop of Connecticut um, about the the whole experience of, of being transgender. And, and, and I think it's a, a great educational tool for us all to learn about um, uh, what it's like to, to have grown up in a body that, that doesn't feel like it belongs to you. And so I, I am just delighted about the, the inclusion of transgender people in our non-discrimination clauses. And, and frankly, um, this passed at our convention with, with remarkable, uh, sizable majorities. And uh, I thought it would have been um, a much harder sell, but, but in fact it was, it was very much supported. We're talking with Bishop Gene Robinson of the Episcopal Diocese of New Hampshire here on Outcasting. Bishop Robinson was the first gay man ordained as a bishop in the Episcopal Church. The decision to allow gay people to be ordained predated by several years the decision to allow transgender people to be ordained. Why do you think that is? Well, um, even even with gay and lesbian people, there were uh, clearly gay and lesbian people being ordained before the the church made any uh, pronouncement about it. And it was the lives lived with integrity by those people that made it much more of a transparent issue in the church. I think the reason that uh, one precedes the other is that there are so many more gay and lesbian people who have come out and shared their stories and made themselves known that most people in America now would would probably tell you, yes, they know someone who's gay or lesbian, you know, a son or a daughter or a brother or a sister or a former classmate or a next-door neighbor or a co-worker. I think with transgender people, um, it is still so dangerous for them to come out and be open about who they are 
because the, the murder rate of transgender people is is huge. It's so dangerous for them to come out. We haven't reached the critical mass of of stories of people who who have shared their stories publicly, uh, so that transgender people uh, still um, tend to be mysterious and kind of unknown to the general public, as well as to the church. So I think the the reason there's a a delay there is is that we really need to get those stories out there so that the kind of change of heart and attitude towards transgender people can can follow along the lines um, that have happened for gay and lesbian people. What do you think these actions say about trends toward greater equality in the church? Well, you know, I am of a mind that this is exactly what the gospel is about. Uh, when Christians talk about the good news, the good news is that God loves all of God's children. The problem is is that human beings uh, have this um, terrible tendency to want to pick on somebody. Um, somehow we, we think we want to build ourselves up by tearing down someone else. Uh, you know, in, in former times, um, we dumped on the Irish or the Italians or the, you know, fill in the blank. Uh, certainly around race, um, uh, not only just slavery, but, but the kind of discrimination against people of color has just been rampant. And, and the same is true for LGBT people. And so I, I would say uh, that this movement toward equality is actually movement towards uh, the gospel, towards the good news that God loves all of God's children and the church should reflect that. So I think we're, we're just being the church. It's just taken us a long time to get there. Are you seeing similar trends in other religions? Well, yeah, some. Um, certainly the Lutherans and the, um, the United Church of Christ uh, are, are doing you know, fantastic work in this. The Unitarians have, have uh, been espousing this kind of inclusive church for a very long time. Uh, the Presbyterians and the Methodists are struggling along, are not quite as far along um, as, as we've been fortunate enough to be. And then, of course, you've got the entire Roman Catholic Church and the uh, evangelical right, the Southern Baptists and so on, who really have not done uh, the work I think they need to do. Uh, but there are people working in those denominations to, to change their hearts and minds as well. I, I probably feel the, the least optimistic about the Roman Catholic Church because while I think American Catholics... Uh, have have certainly come around on this issue. The church hierarchy uh, clearly has not, and that's really holding them back. What would you say to people who think that LGBT issues and religion don't go together? Well, I, I guess I offer my life uh, as as an example of how wrong that can be. You know, when when people talk about the church or they talk about God, I usually ask them. Uh, you know, which church or which God is it that you don't believe in? Uh, because the chances are, I don't believe in that God either. Um, and, you know, the, the church often gets it wrong, but God never does. And I believe with my whole heart that uh, God loves me and affirms me uh, as a gay man and 
does the same for other LGBT people. And, and I think we have fallen into the, the trap of assuming that the, the angry, crazy voices we hear coming from the religious right uh, speak for Christianity uh, or speak for God. And, and that just simply is not the case. But those of us who are in a different place around LGBT issues need to speak up and be heard so that that's not the only voice people hear. Bishop Robinson, you've written a book about marriage equality. Can you tell us something about it? Yeah, it, it's called God Believes in Love, Straight Talk About Gay Marriage. And it imagines a conversation between me and someone who would probably describe themselves as being reasonably tolerant of us, but is not ready to go all the way to advocating for gay marriage. And it takes each one of that that imaginary person's objections and deals with them in a chapter. And so the idea of the book is to answer all those objections so that by the time a person has read through the book, uh, hopefully we will have moved them to a point of advocacy uh, for marriage equality. I think it's a timely book at, you know, at a time when marriage equality is on the ballot in four states and at a time when the Supreme Court will probably take up one or more gay marriage-related court cases uh, in this next uh, session. So uh, I think it'll be timely, and it's the kind of book, I think, um, that people, LGBT people, will want to use. You know, when they, when they finally get to marry their boyfriend or their girlfriend and, and uh, their parents are feeling a little nervous about uh, coming to the wedding, this is, a, this is a book you can give your parents or your brothers and sisters or your grandmother uh, so that they can understand why this is important to you. I think it's a, it's a book that that can be used uh, by study groups and churches who want to see how could it be that that religious people are supportive of this, and it walks them through all those biblical passages and so on. Um, I think it's a, a book that can be uh, really used by by those who are in the very movable middle, those people who who could be u- moved to become advocates for us rather than being those people just on the other side of the line. I don't think we're ever going to, um, you know, convince those who, who are extremists on this issue and who could never be convinced. But there are a lot of people whose uh, minds are changing uh, on this issue and their hearts are changing, and I think this book will sort of give them the, the backbone and give them the, the background uh, to take that more positive stance. Thank you so much for joining us, Bishop Robinson. You're very, very welcome. Thank you. We've been talking with Bishop Gene Robinson, the first gay man ordained as a bishop in the Episcopal Church. He's a senior fellow at the Center for American Progress. The Center is an independent, nonpartisan educational institute dedicated to improving the lives of Americans through progressive ideas and action. He has co-written AIDS education curricula for youth and adults. He's also a social activist doing AIDS work in the United States, Uganda, and South Africa, lobbying for equal protection under the law and full marriage rights. He's a former member of the Board of Directors of the New Hampshire Endowment for Health, which works to advance access to health care for the uninsured. Several major organizations, including the Human Rights Campaign, Lambda Legal, the National Gay and Lesbian Task Force, 
the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation and the Equality Forum have all honored Bishop Robinson for his work. He's written a book called God Believes in Love, Straight Talk About Gay Marriage. That's it for this edition of Outcasting, the Lower Hudson River Valley's only youth-run radio show dealing with LGBTQ struggles, triumphs, and lifestyles, where you don't have to be queer to be here. If you are having trouble, whether it's at home, at school, or just with yourself, call the Trevor Project Lifeline at 1-866-488-7386 or visit them online at thetrevorproject.org. The Trevor Project is an organization dedicated to LGBT youth suicide prevention. Again, the number is 1-866-488-7386. Being different isn't a reason to hate or hurt yourself. Outcasting is a production of Westchester Public Radio, WDFH-FM 90.3, Austin, New York, and on the net at WDFH.org. For more information on this program and a list of resources, including the Trevor Project Suicide Hotline, visit us at wdfh.org and click on Outcasting. I'm David. Thanks for joining us, and tune in again next time. If you enjoyed this program, please make a tax-deductible gift to WDFH. We can't do programs like this without your support. Visit wdfh.org and click on Donate. Thanks. Thanks.